Let's, 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 let's keep talking about missions. Can we do that? You might say, Fred, how much longer are you going to talk about this trip that you went on to Africa? And my answer is, I'm not ever going to stop talking about this trip that I took to Africa. But one of the reasons, practically, you, I know this isn't you, but most people only come to church on average twice a month. I know. Now, I know you're the exception to that. But most people, they only come twice a month. So there's some things where we're just going to keep talking about it week after week because we know if, if we don't, then we might miss them. And so we're going to be talking about it for, for a few weeks in a row here. Um, there are things on this platform that you can take. One, uh, bracelets. I only had a few last week, but I was in Richmond last Sunday, and uh, Michael Thaler gave me this massive bag. And so if you're praying about going on one of these trips by the end of 2023, I hope you take one of these bracelets home with you. It's just going to prompt you to take the next step, which is going to be to reach out to us here at the church. Uh, we'd like to talk with you before you commit to go because of what is required, what's expected. And then after we talk, then we're going to turn you loose to get in touch with Effective Ministries. Uh, there's a website there on the screen that lists all the trips that are going through 2023. Just for this year alone, there's one that's going in July, a Connect trip that's primarily college students and young adults. The deadline for that is April 5th. There's a Discover and Serve team in September. There's a medical team that's going. If you've got medical training, if you're an EMT or a doctor or a nurse, we'd love for you to be able to go on that trip in October. Then there's a men's team, only men, that's going to be going in November. They'll be doing a little bit of construction. They'll also be doing some ministry, uh, visiting the orphanages and the schools that are there. The deadline uh, for that one is in August. And so if one of those speaks to you or resonates with you, you might say, I don't have the money to go. I would say, that's okay. Money should be the least of your concerns. You will raise that money. I'm telling you, you will raise that money faster than you think is possible. We can help you do that. And so we just want to encourage you. This is a postcard. You can pick one of these up. If you want to be a Live 1024 partner, it's based uh, on Hebrews 1024 that says we're going to provoke one another to love and good works. And these are people that are making a commitment to give $10.24 to Effective Ministries every month. And then here's a brochure. So these postcards are for the taking. I didn't have enough last week for you to take them. But you can take one of those postcards. And then this is a brochure and information about the trips. And so you can take those home with you as well. I'm telling you, you will not come back the same. You will not come back the same. It's good. There's a picture that I'm just going to keep showing. These kids are asking you the question, will you come to Africa and tell them about Jesus? Will you come and tell them about Jesus? All right, we're in a series entitled The Story because the Bible tells a story and you have a part to play. You have a part to play. There's a chart that's going to pop up onto the screen. This was how far we got on week one. We're filling in each week a portion of this chart. I don't know how long we're going to be in the series. We're going to stay in it until we're done. Last week, we got to hear. We got to tell the story, which is going to pop up right there on the right side. That slide's going to come up. Maybe it's not going to come up. There it is. Tell the story. So we talked about that last week, about our responsibility to, as, as devoted followers of Christ, we, we, we broke down the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, is that we should be going through our lives every day asking the question, God, are you going to bring someone across my path today and I can point them to Jesus? This, by the end of the series, this is where we're headed. I'm showing this chart every week. This is where we're going. By the end of the series, we're going to, we're going to, every sermon is going to be based on just a part of this chart, a piece 
of this chart together. I don't know if you remember much about history from school, but if you do, you remember the shot heard around the world. It began the Revolutionary War. It was actually in April. It was in 1775 in the battles of Concord and Lexington that were the beginning, the beginning of the Revolutionary War. If you have been anywhere on the planet this week, then you know about the slap that was heard around the world. I know, it's real, right? Sunday night, March 27th at the Oscars, we had been at our team meeting. It was our last team meeting for this trip that, uh, to Africa. We were uh, in Richmond, and so we got back home later that night, and we rolled into the kitchen. We cut the TV on. We had just started watching, and we were standing in the kitchen, and we were like, what, what did we just see? Right? We, like the rest of the world, we were just, we couldn't figure it out. Was it scripted? Was it something had gone terribly wrong? Chris Rock, Will Smith in an altercation. Questions I think people have been asking. Is it ever appropriate to make a joke about someone's challenging condition? Right? I think people are starting to ask that question. Has, has part of American culture, have we grown too comfortable with making jokes about other people's suffering? I think another people question that people are asking, when is it acceptable to laugh at those jokes? Because people are telling them. But then we have a responsibility whether or not we're going to find humor in those moments. I think people are asking the question, is it ever appropriate to use measured aggression? Is it ever appropriate? I'm just telling you, you're making fun of my wife. I'm probably going to have to be up here giving some apologies the week after. Just telling you now. I think people are asking the question, what's the difference between cowardice and self-control? I think these are real cultural questions that people are asking. When should I not do anything? And then if I don't do something, am I shrinking back from a moment that I should step up in? I think these are important questions that we're asking in society. Here are just a couple of conclusions. I don't have all the answers to those questions. But I do have a couple of conclusions that I've come to. Did Chris Rock go too far? Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. I don't think we should be making jokes about other people's suffering. Did Will Smith go too far? I, yeah, I think he did. I think he had a lot of other options, and I think all of his apologies, which I respect, right? His transparency, the apologies that he's coming out. But he went too far. Am I surprised that any of that happened? No, I'm not. Not because they're actors or because it's the Oscars or because it's Hollywood. I'm not surprised because people are flawed. I'm not surprised because when I look back into my own life, you know what I have? I have regrets. And when you look back into your life, you know what you have? You have some regrets. And I'm your pastor. I know some of your regrets. I'm telling you, you have regrets. Because we're flawed. Human beings are flawed. So when we see people make mistakes, we can be disappointed. We can be maybe shocked at what's happening in the moment. I think that's appropriate. But the conclusion that we should ultimately come to is, of course, we're going to do things that we're not supposed to do because human nature is ultimately flawed. See, because this is what we're talking about tonight. Romans 3.23. Just this little piece here on the chart for the whole rest of our time together. Romans 3.23. I'm going to read it in two different translations because I like the second one better. 
The first one is out of the New Living Translation, which is usually what we work out of. It says, for everyone has sinned. Now, I like that part of it because I think they're getting the translation there right. But the second part says, we all fall short to God's glorious standard. But I don't think this verse is about the standard of God. I think the verse is about God himself, which we're going to talk about tonight. So I think the New American Standard gets it a little bit better. The King James gets it a little bit better. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not short of his standard, but short of himself. Short of himself. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Somebody say flawed. Come on, we are born flawed. We're born that way. If you've got children, you know. They're born that way. All of somebody's laughing too loud out there. That's a parent's laugh right there. Psalm 51.5 says this, the psalmist writing of himself, for I was born a sinner. Listen to what, listen to what they write. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. From the moment my mother conceived me, it says, I was born a sinner. Right from the start. See, you might be asking the question, does the idea that we are born into sin come from a God who is unfair? Meaning, are his standards too high? Meaning, if God's standards were not so high, then maybe we would not be so flawed. But I would suggest to you that the idea that we are born into sin is actually God loving us enough to point out our condition. It's because he, it's in here because he loves us enough to point out our condition, to say hard things to us so that we can see ourselves the way that we need to be seen. Genesis 1.11 reads this way, then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. Let me read that again. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that is what happened. This idea from which they came is important to us. Not because it's the time for gardening. Not because some of you like to get your hands into the soil. We're not talking about biology tonight. Did God create something biological in this moment in the story of creation? He did. But he's not just speaking to us about biology. If you were to come and tour our preschool and ask our children the question, when a man and a woman have a baby, will they have puppies or kittens? Even children are going to laugh at you. They're going to say, what? They're not going to have puppies or kittens. They're going to have a baby. Because they understand this principle is that we produce after our own kind. What what we are is what we replicate. Listen to Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. Meaning, 
that in the moment that Adam and Eve committed the very first sin, sin not only entered the world, but they became sinners. Are you with me? It affected their human condition, not their biology, but their spirituality. So when the Bible says in Genesis that a tree produces after its own kind, it's making a biological statement, but it's also making a spiritual statement that now all of humans that are born that come from Adam and Eve, which is all of us, that they replicate what they are. Sin was set into motion. Human nature was altered forever. It's not just about biology, it's about spirituality. And you and I, and every person who's ever been born, and every person who's ever going to be born, because we come from the original, you and I are born into this world, flawed with the human nature that we inherited from then. Genesis 3, 23 to 24 reads this way. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, which are like angels, they're heavenly creatures, to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We might get into that a little bit more in this series as we move forward together. I'm sharing that because I want you to understand what happened in the beginning of time. Where Adam and Eve, when they had to leave the Garden of Eden, they died spiritually. And then when they had children and their children had children and so forth and so on, all of us were born into this world separated from God. All of humanity is born. There are no exceptions into the world in a state of being separated from God and like Adam and Eve with a human nature that is naturally selfish. We are all born flawed. And you know what? If Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, in 10,000 years when a baby is born, that baby is going to be born just as flawed as we were. Because of the principle that was set forth in the beginning of time that something can only replicate what it is. Now, I know this is going to come as a shock to you also. Flawed people sin. Flawed people sin. Every week we try to remind you these notes are online. You can go on during the week. There's a PDF that lists all these verses and all the scriptural references. I'm not going to read each of these for the sake of time tonight, but these are some verses that I compiled that we teach on often here at City Life that talk about sin, that talks about the idea of right and wrong and biblical language that we learn through studying Scripture. And One is in James 4, 17. It talks about the sin of omission, meaning that not all sin that we commit as flawed people comes from us doing something that we shouldn't do. Sometimes sin is not doing what we should. Right? It's, it's meaning that there is something that I'm supposed to do but I don't do it. It's the sin of omission. In James 1, 14 to 15, 
It's one of the places in the Bible that talks about how sin begins as a desire. And here it's talking about the sin of commission. It means that it's something that I'm not supposed to do, but I do it anyways. Right? We're, not, we're not surprised by this conversation, I don't think, because we're all flawed. Flawed people sin. Sometimes that sin is an omissive sin. Sometimes that sin is a commissive sin. In 1 John 5, 17, these terms are a little bit unfamiliar if you're not from a Catholic background, but this is in the Bible, and so we like to mention it. It's another sermon for another time. We've talked about it extensively in past sermons, but in 1 John 5, 17 gives birth to this idea of venial sins versus mortal sins. Venial sin meaning sins that are forgivable, and mortal sins meaning that there is a different implication to you spiritually, if you commit them. Now, now you might say, Fred, I kind of grew up in church where they said, really, all sin is the same. And I would say the answer to that is yes and no. It's all the same in the sense that the least of sin is enough to separate us from God. But all sin is not the same in how it impacts you spiritually. And, And the Bible talks about that. Right? Some sins are more egregious than others because of the harm that it does to you, but also because of the harm that it does to other people. Right? You, you understand this. Like if, if God is prompting you to send Chuck a birthday card, and he says, I want you to give him $50, and you only give 10 right? And, and you're being disobedient to the Holy Spirit in that moment. Chuck's like, take that number higher, Fred. Take that number higher. Right? You understand that's a sin. If you go online tonight and develop a sexual, intimate relationship with someone that you're not married to, you, you following me right here? Sin? But these sins have very different implications to you and to the people that are around you. When Jesus was here interacting with people, you see him respond to certain things differently. And can I just tell you, right, the list of what makes God angrier than others is oftentimes very different from ours. I'm just saying. Just saying. Romans 13, 8 to 14, and Romans 14, we're given three words that are important to us when we're understanding sin. There's, there's sin that is based on, a, it's, a, it's a moral issue. Then there's sin that's called a, a matter of conscience. And then there's sin that's a foregoing of a liberty. A, a moral sin is, means that it's, it's timeless. It's always been a sin. It's always going to be a sin. It's, it's a moral-based issue. Not, not all sin is moral-based, whether it's commissive or omissive. Sometimes it's a matter of conscience, meaning that if your conscience causes you to feel like you should or shouldn't do something, you should be true to that. And if you violate that conscience, you've committed a sin. But not everybody's conscience is the same. For some people, their conscience dictates to them certain dietary restrictions. I don't feel like I'm supposed to eat that. And for somebody else, you might not have that conviction. It's not a moral, it's not supposed to be for all people for all time. You tracking with me? It just means that you've got to be true to the conscience that you've been given. And then let other people be true to the conscience that they've been given. And then there's the foregoing of liberty, which means that it's not a moral issue. It doesn't violate your conscience, but you're going to set aside this thing that you're at liberty to do for the sake of someone else. We like to use alcohol consumption as an example here. The Bible has a prohibition against drunkenness. It does not have a prohibition against consumption. 
moderation. And then maybe you don't have a personal conviction. But it might be that you're going out to dinner with a friend who's a recovering alcoholic. Should you order a glass of wine with your steak? Absolutely not. So you hear it and you go, of course I don't. It's forgoing of a liberty. If you don't forgo that liberty, then you commit a sin, right? Because you are putting someone else at risk for your own enjoyment. The Bible has all kinds of conversations that it teaches us about what sin is and what sin isn't. Tonight's message is not about trying to convince you of the Bible's boundaries regarding right and wrong. It's not why I'm talking to you about sin tonight. Tonight's message is asking you to agree with the Bible's conclusion that there is at least some right and some wrong, and that we have all missed the mark at some point. That's all I'm asking you to agree with tonight, is that you would say that in the universe, there is some standard of right and wrong. And that when we look at our lives and we look at every person who's ever been and we think about every person that's going to be, that all of us at some point are going to miss the mark, regardless of what you choose to be your standard. I love the story in Luke 5, verses 5 through 8. Again, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but that's where Peter, in one of his early meetings with Jesus, falls at his feet and he says, get away from me for I am a sinful man. In the Greek there, it's the word hamartolos. And it's an archery term that means literally to miss the mark. It means you fired an arrow and you did not hit your target. I love that the Bible uses that as the illustration for what sin is. Because sin ultimately means that you've missed the mark for the standard of right and wrong that's in front of you. Whether it's omissive or commissive whether it's venial or mortal, whether it's morality, a matter of conscience, or forgoing a liberty, we've all missed the mark at some point in our lives. And guess what? We're going to miss the mark in our future. We're going to miss the mark in our future. Every person here, every person who's ever lived, every person who will ever live has and will miss the mark. People are born flawed and flawed people sin. This is my last one tonight, is that sin always falls short. Sin falls short. Romans 3.23, I love that it doesn't stop halfway. It doesn't just say, for all have sinned. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I want to explain why I believe that it's not talking about a standard. It's talking about the nature of who God is. Maybe you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I agree that we are all born with a selfish human nature and that we have all missed the mark at some point and will likely miss the mark again. But where this sermon is taking us is asking the question, what difference does it make? It's asking the question, oh, okay, we're all in this boat together. Maybe some are going to miss the mark more than others, but at the end of the day, why does it really matter that we miss the mark. Why does it matter? See, the second half of Romans 3.23 is telling us of our dilemma. The first part of Romans 3.23 is speaking to our condition. But the second part is speaking to the dilemma that we are in because of the condition that we have. 
the greatest need in every person's life, as we've already said tonight, is to know God and to be known by him. It's why Jesus uses the language of hunger. It's why he uses the language of thirst. It's why when he was talking to Nicodemus and talking about being born again, one of the reasons he was talking about that, because he was talking about the ache inside of every human being for acceptance, not just acceptance with one another relationally, but our need for acceptance from God, this need that we have to know him and to be known by him. And so he picks this language that we can understand that speaks to deep, deep, deep desire there are few desires in this world that equate to thirst and hunger and the ache for emotional intimacy. And Jesus says, I'm going to use those words to help you understand something in your soul. That you have a need. And that need is to know God and to be known by Him. Our condition is that we're flawed and flawed people sin. Our dilemma is that because of that, we are completely and totally relationally incompatible with God. Our greatest need is to know him. Our greatest need is to be known by him. Our greatest dilemma is that we are relationally incompatible with the one that we are desperate to know, and we are relationally incompatible with the one that we are desperate that he would know us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads this way, for God made Christ, who never sinned, the only person to ever walk on this planet who's never committed any kind of sin is Jesus himself. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. This is the gospel, people, right here. To be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Come on. So good. John 1.14, so the word speaking of Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He's always checking the box yes when you write him a note. Listen to what it says, and we have seen, listen to the language, his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is always reminding us of the glory of God, the perfection of God, the perfection of His Son, the perfection of the Holy Spirit, and the imperfection of who we are. Not to demean us, not to shame us, but to make sure that we understand the nature of our human condition, the dilemma that we face, because our greatest ache and hunger and thirst is to know God and to be known by Him, and yet we are completely and totally relationally incompatible with Him, but God says, I have a plan for that, and His name is Jesus. John 1.12 says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. This is the point where we're going to wade out maybe into some deeper waters. I having lunch this week with a good friend of mine, Dr. Vega over at Freedom Life Church. He's the one that introduced us to Food for the Hungry that led to this 10-year commitment that we're just wrapping up now. And every now and again, he reaches out and he says, let's go grab something to eat. We went to La Pena Horeb. Anybody been to La Pena Horeb? Oh, stop it already. 
The plantains there will change your life. You might say, Fred, that's strong language because you talked about a mission trip to Africa changing your life. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Those plantains are no exaggeration. I'm just saying. I was, I, was, I was writing the sermon this week and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm pretty certain plantains are going to be at the marriage feast of the land. But then I got to thinking about how big is that table going to be? How big is that table going to be? Have you ever thought about that, Pastor? How big is the table going to be in heaven for the marriage feast of the Lamb? Because that's all of heaven is going to be there. You ever been to a dinner party? I mean, a really big dinner party? How big is that dinner party going to be in heaven? And then, right, because I'm a little bit odd, I get it. I started to think, what if the plantains aren't on the table near me? It literally might take me a hundred years to get to the part of the table or if I said, hey, can someone pass the plantains? How many times does it have to be repeated before they're going to get to me? I'm just letting you know, we're going to be there for eternity. I'm going to wait for the plantains. I'm waiting for the plantains. Dr. Vega, we were sitting and talking. We were, whenever we catch up, we're talking about our kids. And he was sharing me this story about when one of his, his boys were, were, were little. And he was talking to them about faith in Christ and in Christianity. And his, his son looked up at him and he says, said, I don't think that I'll ever know enough to be fully convinced that all of this is true. It's good, isn't it? Dr. Vega said he paused in that moment and looked at his son and he said, if you wait until you understand it all before you believe in any of it, you will never believe, ever. And he said, you can come to a place in your life, he said, son, when you will know enough. It's like, oh, come on, come on. And then after that, it's a journey of faith. There's, no matter how much you think that you know, no matter how much you think you understand, at some point, you have to give way to faith. You have to give way to letting your heart, this is hard for us as Westerners in American culture, sometimes our heart understands something to be true long before our mind can understand it. And you might be here tonight and you might say, Fred, in my thinking, all of this conversation is beyond what I understand, but something deep in your heart knows that I'm telling you the truth. It might be that tonight you know enough. You know enough. The chart's going to pop back up onto the screen See, because when you and I were born into this world, we're all born onto the humankind side of things. And each week, we're just reminding you of that incredible verse in Acts 4.12 that says, there's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who could ever be the bridge because he's the only one that's ever lived a perfect life. And it required a perfect sacrifice I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Hebrews 9, 12 reads this way, with his own blood, speaking of Jesus. Come on. Not the blood of goats and calves. Why, why does it reference that? Because of the, the Jewish tradition of, of sacrifice was every time was a prophetic declaration that one day Jesus would die for the sins of the world. Not, not the blood of, of goats and calves. Listen to what it says. He entered the most holy place once for all time, and secured our redemption forever. 
forever. See, because every sacrifice that had been given before Jesus as part of the Mosaic law had to keep being repeated again and again and again and again, which was saying to us that none of those sacrifices are enough and that no sacrifice will ever be enough until Jesus comes because he's the only one who's ever going to be a perfect sacrifice. Let me show you this picture. I want you to see this picture tonight. I just want you to stare at it for a minute. Take a picture of it if you want to. This is important for us to understand. Because the death of Jesus stands for all of time. It happened in a moment, but it lasts forever. It happened in a moment, but it lasts forever. Every sacrifice prior to Jesus happened in a moment and lasted for a moment. But because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. He is an eternal sacrifice, which means that God in all of his holiness, in all of his perfection, the wrath that always is going to come from him that flows towards sin. And that's a problem for us people because we are born flawed and flawed people sin. We are relationally incompatible with God because if we were to come into intimacy with him, we would be consumed by his holiness. But Jesus went onto a cross for all of time. And the wrath of God is continually poured out on him, on that cross, and on his death. And when he rose from the dead and entered into heaven, he stepped out, right, from that suffering, but his death is eternal. And so all of that wrath is continually being poured out on that moment of his death. Why? So that we can have the peace that we talked about in the very first sermon in this entire series. When the angels declared his birth, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Because of the goodwill of Jesus towards us, peace can come to us. The peace that comes from knowing God and being known by him. So every time, every person steps into a moment of making a vow of devotion to Christ, come on. Every time, that wrath is there, which is why we take communion, which is why we remember, so that our lives can begin anew and our lives can begin afresh. And we can wake up every day for the rest of our lives knowing God is our best and closest friend. Not just understand him to be a creator, but that we can know him as our father. Our father. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight. no matter where they might be in the story. Maybe they're still on the outside looking in. Whether they're watching from somewhere around the world or whether in this, in this room tonight, they're, they're still on the outside looking in. I pray that, that this message is just going to germinate in their heart. It's going to be like a seed that gets down deep into some fertile soil in their soul and it's just going to begin to sprout and bring forth the fruit of surrender, 
of their lives to you. And for those of us, as, as we look back into the story of our life and find a moment in time where we've made a vow of devotion to you, Jesus, I pray that, 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 that something would stir inside of us. A deep sense of gratitude for the grace that we've been extended, that you took on yourself what we deserved. Father, so that we can be reconciled to you. And for all of us, for all of us, I pray that this series, that this message tonight is going to do something inside of us so that when we leave this place tonight, wherever we go tonight, wherever we find ourselves tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, that we're going to ask ourselves this question, God, is there somebody here in this room? Is there somebody that you're bringing across my path? that I'm supposed to point to you. Help us, God, because of the way we live. That Jesus would be easier to find in the 757 because of us. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said, amen. Let's worship together.